0: Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, February 1st. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander with me. A wild Tuesday night, college basketball. Kentucky got 37 points from Elite Monk beat Georgia in overtime. And avoided a third straight loss, which would have been John Calipari's first three-game losing streak since he lost four straight uh, back in 2005 when he was the coach at the University of Memphis. Meantime, West Virginia won at Iowa State. Totally screwed up the straight-up bet from Sunday night's podcast. Maryland won again. Terps are now 20-2. and We're going to get to most of that, if not all of that, in just a bit. We're going to preview Baylor, Kansas as well. But I wanted to start with uh, what I thought was the most interesting development from Tuesday night, and that was Creighton winning at Butler. Huge win. Uh, for the Blue Jays. They, of course, entered uh, that game 1-2 and two in games in which Maurice Watson has not played. He, of course, terrific point guard, lost for the season to a torn ACL. Both of those losses, since uh, Watson has been sidelined, were to unranked opponents. One of them came at home in Omaha, so it was fair to wonder, and I had been wondering for a couple of weeks in the attacks column, if Creighton could still beat quality opponents without its most important player. Uh, Creighton needed to show the selection committee that it can beat quality opponents without Mo Watson. And Creighton did that Tuesday night. They beat Butler really from start to finish. Justin Patton got 15 points and 7 rebounds. Looked awesome. And uh, just a big development for the Blue Jays, right, Norlander? It seems to uh, be the type of win that can provide hope uh, in a season in which hope was starting to dwindle a little bit.
1: Big time win for Creighton here. Justin Patton continues to... um make me look good i've had him in my top 10 freshman of the year watch for more than a month and he's continued to play at a consistent pace and if you watch what he does it's it's kind of undeniable in terms of a value standpoint especially as a freshman he continues to be uh, borderline incredible considering how much he's been able to do versus what was expected of him coming into the season i'm of two minds with this gp Good for Creighton because you know what they get a they get a win on the road without Watson against a legitimate opponent. This will certainly help buoy their resume without Watson. There's still plenty left in the season. Uh, I'm still not convinced that Creighton won't take a significant seed dive from what it would have been with Watson, but I think it's safe to say that Creighton will wind up being in a position on Selection Sunday that its fan base. Will be comfortable with knowing that they don't have Watson anymore. There was some concern, but getting a win like this is important. I do want to say this though: Butler yeah. is deve- but am I breaking up? No, no, no. You're
0: you're uh, you're on the right track about Butler. Continue.
1: Okay. Um. So Butler, they they're developing like hashtag weird resume and uh, like a top three weird resume in college hoops right now because they've got the loss at Indiana State. That at the time I. Somewhat defended it, but it's it's continuing to look worse because Indiana State's now seven and 15, and at the time they were above 500, so that's not helping them. After the fact, they lose to St. John's. That's not a, a really good team. I know it was on the road. They get swept by Creighton. They take a brutal loss at home to Georgetown. So Butler – but they also have really, really good wins. So we're going to get to a situation here on Selection Sunday where Butler, depending on what happens here over the next three weeks – and I cannot believe, GP, we are already to February – I, I'm not really quite sure what we're gonna have to do with Butler because they're gonna have really, really good wins. They've already they've beaten Arizona, which is charging for a one seed. They've right. beaten Villanova, which is charging for a one seed. They have a really good road win against Utah as well. They've defeated Indiana. They got a win over Xavier. So and and by the way, they've got good wins away from home, Butler does. But they've got these also these interesting losses. So it's it's almost like really good win for Creighton, but let's realize that Butler is not they're not like a guaranteed top twenty team, and I did think that they might become that, but ultimately they're just they're a little herky jerky at this point. So with last night's result GP, I take a little more stock into what Butler has and hasn't been than Creighton definitively getting the win. But good for the Jays. This was definitely a morale boosting victory.
0: There's no question. And you're exactly right about Butler. Like if you were trying to poo poo on what Creighton did Tuesday night, uh that's where you'd start. You'd say, Hey, yeah, they beat Butler. Uh, congratulations same thing Indiana State did same thing St. John's did same thing Georgetown just did in that same building uh, Saturday uh, you know from this past weekend and you know Butler's got undeniably great wins as you mentioned Um, but let's not forget this isn't an immensely talented roster Uh, that you know they, they had sort of been overachieving if not absolutely overachieving most of this season they were picked sixth in the preseason Big East poll, so they might just be, you know, starting to become what they actually are, which is a team that is good enough to catch you on a good night. They like good enough to catch anybody on a good night, especially in Hinkle. Uh, Villanova being a great example, but they can also lose to basically anybody. And so, if you were trying to discount what Creighton did, uh, that's the way you would do it. You'd say, okay, Creighton hit 13 three pointers, and Butler is is uh, sketchy at this point. But I'm not interested in that. Like, um. The Creighton fans like they they turn on me uh, because of the back to back text column where I wasn't writing about Creighton as much as I was writing about inexplicable ballots. There were uh, as an there was an AP voter each week, two weeks ago and this past Monday who moved Creighton up in the rankings. So forget about where you think Creighton should be ranked, fourteenth, twenty third, doesn't matter. Like there were people watching Creighton lose, a their point guard and b games and moving them up in the rankings on their ballot, which is just nonsensical. That's why the Politex column exists. But like Creighton fans don't interpret it that way. They just say, oh, man, here's Gary Parish crapping all over our basketball program again. Screw him. So um, it was – I tried to explain that in the last Politex column. Didn't really calm anybody down too much. But it was, in all sincerity, uh, nice to see that program uh, get that win at Butler because uh, I like that staff. I like that program. I've been to Omaha. I've been to that building. The fan base is passionate, um, which is probably why my Twitter mentions turned into what they did turn into. Um, Like, that's a great college basketball program, and we've talked about this before, and uh, I meant it every time. Like, it it was awful to watch them lose that player in this season because— you know, like if you're Duke, you can always expect to be great again soon. If you're North Carolina, you can always expect to be great again soon. And I'm not trying to put a a ceiling on what Creighton can be uh, going forward, but it's not North Carolina. It's not Duke. It's not Kentucky. It's not Arizona. You, you, you only get these types of rosters where you have maybe the best point guard in America, not from an NBA perspective, but college point guard, at least on the short list of all American candidates. You've got um, a high-scoring, uh, you know, transfer from the Big 12, you know, right beside him, and then you've got a likely one-and-done guy in your front court. Like, when is Creighton going to have those things again? This was a special season in the making, and then it's just gone. And and, and while I recognize it's not totally gone, because like, you know, they're still playing and they won a big game last night, but odds are, and I, I think Greg McDermott would even tell you this, like, it, it, probably not going to be able to do what it looked like they might be able to do. Uh, before that injury suffered on MLK Day. And so I hated watching that. I hate watching anybody lose their college career to a random injury. I hate watching any team be adversely affected by such an unfortunate thing. But I especially hated it for Creighton because this was a a once-in-a-decade situation for them. Maybe a a once-in-a-two-decade situation for them. Uh, So congrats to that staff. Congrats to those players. Congrats to that fan base, even the ones who've been mean to me on Twitter uh, because you deserve good things. And last night was a good thing. Meantime, and this overshadowed it a little bit, but uh, Malik Monk got 37 points in a game at Rupp Arena. Kentucky beat Georgia in overtime. They didn't have De'Aaron Fox, and they got down big early. I think they trailed by 14 points. Afterward, John Calipari in his postgame press conference said, I don't know how we won this game. And I'm like, dude, I know how you won the game. Uh, Malik Monk hit hit a million three-pointers, finished with 37 points, hit the uh, long shot. Two-pointer, not a three-pointer. Shout-out to Brent Musburger. Shout-out to Devin Downey. Shout-out to Terry Teagle. Uh, Two-pointer that sent it to overtime, and then they pulled away there. But, uh, God, that would have been, I don't know about a devastating loss for Kentucky, but certainly three-game losing streaks isn't what they're uh, used to in Lexington. Uh, Big-time performance from from Leak Monk, right? Huge
1: from Monk because they didn't have De'Aaron Fox on the floor. And for the first 15 minutes of the game, in my opinion, Kentucky looked antsy, uncertain. Definitely a team that was missing its point guard, in many ways, looked like Creighton did in the immediate aftermath of losing Mo Watson Jr. They were able to stable themselves to a certain degree. Georgia, man, just a quick note on Georgia before I circle back to Kentucky. This is a, a team with some talent that just cannot beat the best teams it's playing, and it's not going to get to the NCAA tournament. I thought last night was the deciding factor for the Bulldogs, who still have a number of road games left in SEC play, but they're now 13-9 and nine and lost out on an opportunity to have Just a critical road win against the best team in their conference. And even if they had won, they wouldn't have been a sure thing to make the tournament, obviously. But I thought last night getting that win would have made a big-time difference going forward. They can't pull it out. They should have won in regulation. Didn't happen. Instead, Kentucky wins in overtime. I did love the fact, by the way, that Musburger's last game. Was uh, an overtime game. Uh, a little bummed that he is uh, no longer calling games. It's it's honestly it's uh, it, he's one of the best man. I, I, I love him and uh, it's it's a real bummer. I know many listeners feel the same way. And, I'm so
0: glad but, that that game went to overtime so that I know, his, his I know, last because, call yeah. wasn't because he screwed up. He screwed up the monk yeah. shot. Like he was like and hey, Kentucky's got the lead. And it's like no Brant, that was a yeah. two pointer. So I'm glad that he got that. Like that that would have been
1: bad. I know. And by the way, the game hit the over, which was very appropriate for (laughs) for a a Musburger game with Kentucky. Listen, if they lose, I'm writing a column about their three game losing streak and whatnot, but they're able to win it. Monk was huge. He needed to be huge with what he was able to do. And by the way, like here's the thing about Monk and why I, I like him so much, but he can be frustrating is he's still like he had 37, but he didn't have an incredible game. Like he, he needed to come up big late and he did. But, uh, There were plenty of of situations where he was not um, taking good shots. He was good from three, but he was only three of ten from uh, from two-point range. And what's interesting, and I had this in Tuesday's Freshman Watch update, Monk is weirdly significantly better GP when he is being defended. Uh, His field goal rate and his points per shot when there is a defender in his face is so much more successful than when he's wide open, which I find to be – a little bizarre um, because that's certainly not common, but what he's been able to do has certainly been huge. And for Calipari to get this kind of win, I definitely, I, I saw some of the presser and it's now reached a point here. If we want to take a, a, just a little bit of a step back and, and look at what Kentucky is. It's definitely reached a point here where Calipari has got some frustrations. This team, while still of top 10 quality, probably and top, Three top two potential has not met Calipari's expectations. In the preseason, he said, if this team isn't the number one team on defense in America, I will not have done my job. They're not even legitimately a top 10 defensive team in the country right now. They've got a lot of talent, but you've seen them go one and three against the best teams that they've played. You've seen them nearly lose to an average Georgia team on the home floor. So there's still stuff for Kentucky to figure out here. Not having Fox was a big deal, in my opinion. If he was on the floor, I don't, I don't think that Georgia would have been, you know, commanding the first half the way that they did, even if they had played a really good game. So as we just head into February, it's it's pragmatic and OK to to look at Kentucky and say, OK, at this point, even though they're they're a good team, they're 18 and four overall, they have underachieved underachieved to their own coaches expectations through the first two and a half, three months of the season.
0: And how about this stretch for Georgia that they're now in the middle of? So they play at Kentucky on Tuesday night, overtime loss. Next up, at South Carolina, then home against Florida, then at Tennessee, then you get home against Mississippi State, then you got to go Kentucky at home, and then at Alabama. So basically, they're going to play a five-game stretch against four top 40 kinbomb opponents and that is uh that's not normal for an SEC school because they don't have that many of them. <laughs> just a really rough stretch uh, uh for Georgia, but uh to your point, yeah. Like Kentucky, you know, they uh, the talents there if you you know, if you start I mean, they're the exact type of team that could just it clicks in March, and you, you, they're national champions. It's happened before when they were the eighth seed. They played Wichita yeah. State.
1: I, I don't. I don't want to compare that team to this team because there's there's not a lot of total parallels. But we have definitely seen GP Kentucky basically just. Kind of fumble in the dark for two and a half months, and then when it actually matters, the light goes on, and they get to another Final Four. They don't yeah. on almost every year under Calipari,
0: right? So you know when you've got elite level talent, and they do. When you've got lottery pick talent, and they do, you've always got a chance. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what happens in November, December, January, February, um, but once that tournament starts, if if whatever switch needs to flip gets flipped, uh, you got better players than almost everybody, if not everybody, you're going to play against, and that's a Uh, typically a good advantage. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports concert is always, always been a confusing process because you don't know where to go. You don't know if you're getting ripped off. You don't know if you're getting the best deal. You don't have to worry about that anymore because of SeatGeek. It's different. What they've done is created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans, for you, to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go. It's where Norlander goes. And here's the reason they're going to handle the price comparison for you. They search multiple ticket sites, and that way you're going to be insured the best possible deal. Do you really want to be searching five different sites to make sure you're not getting ripped off? I don't have time for that. I got three kids and three jobs. I can't work like that. Uh, so you go to SeatGeek, let them do the work for you. You save time, and you save money. So download the app. It's the SeatGeek app. Then purchase tickets, and then pay attention. You're going to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. Collegeb and you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's College BB. So go to the website or download the app, SeatGeek. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Maryland won again last night. At Ohio State, they're now 20-2. and two. And it's interesting because when I, I rank basketball teams, and obviously it's a subject, subjective exercise, but I do it every day. And so I always tell people, like you can disagree with what I'm doing, but don't ever think for a second I'm not actually like putting thought into it. It is an exhausting mental exercise uh, more often than not. And I've struggled with Maryland for a while now because what I usually value when it comes to rankings is uh, big-time wins. Like, hey, hey, do you have big-time wins on your resume? And then I also value a lack of questionable losses. Like, are you just beating everybody you're supposed to beat? Like even if you don't have a hundred thousand great wins, are you avoiding the bad losses that seemingly everybody else takes? I, I can I can appreciate that. And then if your computer numbers just make you undeniable, like if you know uh, if you've got a top ten Ken Palm rating or a Sagarin rating, um, you know I, I got to take a closer look at you, even if the way I typically would evaluate a resume doesn't um, doesn't suggest that you really are what that number says you are. And so I say all that to say uh, that's the problem with Maryland. They've got some questionable losses at home. They don't have a signature win. They still, to this date, it's February 1st. They have I not. Know. They haven't played a currently ranked team. Now that'll change this weekend. They get Purdue at the Xfinity Center. But uh, as, as of February 1st, they have played 22 games and they have not played a ranked, a currently ranked opponent. So they've got some questionable losses. They don't have a signature win, and their computer numbers, like in the high 30s, at Ken Palm. So I know you wrote about this last night, and it is it is true. Like, what do you do What do you do you with a power conference school that's 20 and 2 and has got an All-American-level point guard and uh, an accomplished coach who's done it before? Um, and so I've moved them up. Like, I think I've got them around 19 or so now. But it is, it's hard to figure out what to do with them because they don't have the things that I typically care about. But they are 20 and freaking 2.
1: They are 20 and freaking 2. And I had a quick, you know – a quick little post on Maryland that went up Tuesday night and then was inspired to write a column on the Terrapins, which is uh, live right now for anyone that's listening. Check it out on your CBS Sports app on your phone or check out cbsports.com because I basically posit the question, why can't Maryland be a Final Four team? And I understand people underrating this team because here's the, here's the fact of the matter. We haven't had a day yet this season where Maryland has played a game, and that game has been the most important game that night, or maybe even the second most important game that night. So when you haven't had a centerpiece game, that's going to affect the perception. The strength of schedule hasn't been great. You mentioned the fact that they don't have wins against elite teams. That is correct, because when they got their win over Indiana, although Indiana at the time was still healthier than it is now, uh, Indiana had begun to slip, and it was a home win for Maryland. If they'd won at Assembly, I feel like they might have been given a little more uh, credit. The losses are definitely hurting the Terrapins. They lose at home to a Pitt team that isn't that good. Although randomly, almost won at North Carolina on Tuesday night. I mean, what is what is going on with I, Pittsburgh? It, it, they lose by like fifty-five million at home to Louisville, and then nearly beat Carolina. Dude, on the Pitt, Pitts, Pitts, bananas.
0: They're they're twelve and ten overall, one and eight in the ACC, last place in the a- ACC. But they have wins over Marquette, Maryland, uh, and Virginia. Virginia yeah. almost beat North Carolina at North Carolina, but then also lost by fifty-five to Louisville. Like they're just all over the place.
1: It's so weird. So so Maryland's only losses this year came at home to Pitt by fourteen, and then they lose a tight one. They should have defeated Nebraska on New Year's Day. I actually
0: that was, I watched that game and it was I watched they, they
1: yeah Maryland should be twenty-one and one. And by the way, if Maryland was twenty-one and one. I, uh, I think we would have been talking about them last week, if not the week before. But here's the deal. So Maryland has the best road neutral record in college basketball, except for Gonzaga. It matches Gonzaga for the best true road record. Both are 6-0. and No no team in college hoops has more road wins without a loss than either of those teams. Um, they are starting to get really good play from freshman Justin Jackson, who's gone for a double-double in back-to-back games. Both games on the road, and by the way, Maryland's freshman trio, uh, Kevin Herter, Anthony Cowan, and Justin Jackson, are playing really well. So here's my deal with Maryland. They've got a veteran point guard in Trimble, a guy who I consider not a top-ten player in college basketball, but a top-ten player of value, without a doubt. Because if you took Trimble off of Maryland, I don't think that they even have 15 wins this season, let alone 20 at this point. But he also has not had to absolutely carry this team to the level that I think a lot of people were expecting. And since he got to campus, here's the other deal. And, and I take stock in this, and I think this is why Maryland's not more highly rated. It's 49th at LRMC, 39th in Ken Palm, 35th in Sagarin. Since Trimble got to Maryland, they are 29-6 and six in games decided by six points or less. He gets to the foul line a lot, and he makes his free throws. So because this team can win close games sometimes if you win a lot of close games against teams that aren't that aren't so good it will hurt your computer numbers I actually take a more um you know if you want to say eye test or humanistic approach to it if you're able to consistently do that I actually think that it it helps you from a mental preparation standpoint because you're going to be more prepared, less stressed. doesn't mean you can't and won't lose close games in March, but I think you're less likely when you've been in that situation so many times. So when you add all these factors in, when you look at the numbers and what Maryland's done in the league and how many road games it's already played and how well it's scoring on a points-by-possession basis against all the other teams in the league, and by the way, the Big Ten's down, but the Big Ten's going to send at least seven teams to the tournament. It's not a bad league. It's not the greatest league, but it's not a bad league overall. So I just... I merely looked at what Maryland's done and asked, why haven't they gotten more pub? It seems to me because they haven't played elite opponents and haven't had a game of the night where everyone was looking to see what Maryland was going to do. And, you know, I kind of set this up knowing that they're going to play Purdue and they get that game at home. I think that they are a legitimate team. And just because they've had a weak strength of schedule, relatively speaking, which, by the way, still measures better than West Virginia, UCLA, and Purdue. Okay, so there are teams that are considered top 15 quality that haven't played non-conference or in-conference schedules as strong as Maryland. So when you look at all of that, I right now, I would put Maryland as a rational candidate to get to a Final Four, and I just don't think that that has been a a topic that's really been broached by anyone yet.
0: I had to turn in my Wooden Award uh late season list of 20 candidates like today. And Mellow Trimble is on there. He's in the second 10 as opposed to the first 10. But I'm with you in terms of value to not only a team, but a program. Like like Mark Turgeon's career turned around the day Mellow Trimble enrolled. And, um, you know, that record in close games that you referenced, like a lot of like Really smart numbers guys will tell you, you know, close games is luck. You, you, you know, it all balances out. It doesn't balance out with Mello Trimble. Like, it's not luck yeah. with him. The reason Maryland wins so many close games is because of him. And you saw it last night. I don't know if you were watching the game, but, like, in the final 45 seconds or so, 50 seconds, it's a one-possession game. What'd they do? Mello got to the rim. Foul and one Game over. He closed it. He's one of the great closers in college basketball, and I don't know what it'll equate to in the NBA, but I, I tend to think that we're going to look up, and he's going to be in that league for the same reasons Fred Van Vliet's in that league right now. Um, he, he's not going to measure well. He's not going to test properly, but you're just going to get him in camp, and, and you're going to like him. You know, I, I know Mark loves him, and he's been a uh, tremendous college basketball player, and I wrote about this last year when he decided to come back to Maryland. And the truth is, because he didn't have great options. Like, if he wanted to be an undrafted free agent, like that was obviously a possibility for him. But his sophomore year didn't go um, as well as he'd hoped, and didn't put him in a position to to do the things he wanted to do. Um, but like sometimes, and, and so like people look at him as like a disappointment because we get this weird perspective where if you're supposed to be, a, if we head into your sophomore year thinking you're never going to have a junior year and then you happen to have a junior year, we're like, what's wrong with him? And I don't, mean, I don't mean you and I, but just like people in general, like, oh, wow, what a disappointment. And the truth is, like, not everybody can be an NBA player. You know, not everybody can be a lottery pick. It's hard. But there's nothing wrong with just being a great, tremendous, record-setting, hang-your-jersey-in-the-rafters college player, and Mellow Trimble seems to be on track for all of those things. He has meant the world to that Maryland program. And while I'm still not completely sold that, you know, they, they're, you know, a, a legitimate top 20 team in America. I got no problem with anybody ranking them in the top 20 because 20 and two is 20 and two, and when that's starting program history, yeah. And when you got that dude, um, you know, handling things for you in the closing minutes. Uh, you know, you, you probably got an advantage over basically anybody else you're playing. It's been a tremendous season so far, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them uh, play Purdue this weekend because uh, if they're able to win that one, and they'll be favored to win that one, if they're able to win that one, it will remove one uh, one negative that that you know, even people like me can say about them, which is so far they haven't beat a currently ranked team. Well, you beat Purdue uh, this weekend. That changes, and the resume becomes uh, even better than it already is. You'd be uh, twenty-one and two uh, with a, a, a win over a nationally ranked team, and that's uh, you know almost without context. That's a that's an amazing thing to be you know in the month of February. West Virginia went to uh, Hilton Coliseum last night, beat Iowa State. Um, I thought that Iowa State, I predicted, would beat West Virginia. I knew they were underdogs, but I was willing to take them straight up. It didn't work out. It didn't even come close to working out. (laughs) West Virginia uh, handled them pretty easily. And uh, Iowa State's now lost three games inside Hilton already. So three games before the calendar even hit uh, February first. That is not Hilton Magic. That is the opposite of Hilton Magic. That is Hilton, it's Hilton
1: Tragic, right
0: there. <laughs> that is Hilton Tragic, and I, I think it's the first time they've lost three games inside that building since uh, 2011. So it's been a little while, um, but like West Virginia, like you know that's a you know I uh, they've got some big time wins. You know they've beaten Baylor, they've beaten Kansas, they've beaten Virginia, and now they've won at Hilton. Like the idea that you could beat the teams that are ranked second to third in the AP poll right now. You got wins over both of them, convincing wins over both of them. You got a road win at Virginia, a road win at Iowa State. I know Iowa State's not great, but that's still hilt magic. You know Huggs is having a terrific year.
1: He is, but I'm going to totally flip this on you and stick with Iowa State here cuz West Virginia's good. Uh, listen, they're you know, they I wrote three weeks ago that this is a team that can get to the final four even if you can't name one dude on that roster
0: and, um, okay is there anybody you haven't written about that you don't think can get to the final four
1: i know we're kind of hitting, it, we're <laughs> kind of hitting the team here <laughs> but are, no, legitimately with with west virginia and maryland i do i genuinely think both teams can iowa state however no <laughs> um, this is listen gp in the preseason some people thought wvu would be the number two team in the big 12 but it wasn't Baylor that West Virginia was competing with. It was Iowa State because of Monty Morris that was coming back. And even though they lost Nying from last year, um, they were getting back Mitro Long, which was big time. Burton was coming back. So this team is underperformed. It's not a good sign when you have multiple instances of losing back to back games. Uh, that's happened now three times with Iowa State this season. They're 13 and 8. They are in danger of not making the NCAA tournament. They still got plenty of opportunities here but they got to turn around they got to play kansas on the road on saturday unlikely to win there to say the least because kansas almost never loses at home then they got to play at texas kind of a must win in my opinion because they'll probably lose at kansas be 13 and 9 and 5 and 5 in the big 12 and right now iowa state has a win over miami solid that's all they got in non-conference in the league right now their best win is at home over kansas state and it's debatable if kansas state will wind up being in the NCAA tournament so I know Cyclone fans are, are well aware of the fact that their their season right now is... They, they're not used to getting to February in recent years and having this much uncertainty about what's going to happen in March. But right now, to me, the, the Cyclones feel like a 50-50 proposition to get uh, to Selection Sunday and have their name called by Greg Gumbel. So it will be interesting to see what happens here. They've got to win every single game they have left at home. That's Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State minimally win all those. And I think... If you can't steal one on the road, then this is just blind projection GP and nothing happens in a vacuum. But if you tell me that Iowa State wins all its home games but loses all of its road games, I'm probably thinking they need to make the Big 12 title game to have an at-large case because there's just not enough in the non-conference there, and they've already just they, they've taken on too much water in league play right now.
0: You mentioned um, TCU as an upcoming opponent for Iowa State. Uh, they've already beaten Iowa State once, but— how about this? Am I the biggest jinx ever? So a few weeks ago, I wrote a column about how everything's going perfectly at TCU. Jamie Dixon's already turned this around. Literally hasn't won a game since. Okay. Me- meantime, even before that, I wrote a column about Minnesota being ranked in the top 25. First time under Richard Pitino. Literally hasn't won a game since.
1: Who's the next victim? I don't know. Who should I get? <laughs> who should that's I get? Little, who should I get? Before we get to Baylor, Kansas, let's look here. Let's look at. Uh, who, let's look at the. Well, I'm writing about. I'm writing about Cincinnati for a Thursday, so you can't take Cincy from me. But uh, who, who else is? Whose season could I ruin? Ah, uh, there's there's got to be a. Listen, if you want to derail the New Mexico State train, I think that's that's out there for the taking. Got no interest uh, in that.
0: I could go. I could go ruin Dan Muller's season at Illinois State. That's listen. There's there's
1: something happening there. They could be better than Wichita State, 18 and four. You could definitely just uh
0: just totally crap over Dan Muller's life. I, I don't honestly. want to. I've known Dan for a long time. I don't want to ruin his season.
1: Um, well, what about your guy Kermit, Middle Tennessee man, I'm undefeated not. in Conference USA, 19 and three overall, giddy potts. You want to totally wreck their their
0: thing? Not a chance. Kermit Kermit is a fellow Mississippian.
1: I don't want to do that either. You know huh? what? You know what? You, you, know you, know you, you, you gotta know- write about something here.
0: <laughs> G- Gp, so K- gonna have to be, Kermit Davis Kermit right. Davis is from Tupelo, Mississippi. You know who's you from Tupelo? Uh... You know you know who's from Tupelo, Mississippi? Born. Who? Uh
1: I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I feel like there are people that have come from Tupelo, Mississippi, aside from Uncle Tupelo.
0: Elvis Aaron Presley. Well that's where he was born? Okay. Born the in you. Tupelo, Mississippi, yeah. Shout out to Tupelo, Mississippi.
1: Hey, listen, you know I think what we're leading to here, GP, is um it's time for you to to end Gonzaga's undefeated season. <laughs> I could, I could, I could. It Gonzaga- you a call, get it done, get this column up before Thursday night because they play at BYU.
0: I could ruin Gonzaga's season. I don't want to ruin Gonzaga's season. I talked to Mark the other day when they, after they became number one in the AP poll, and he was like, he's you know, Mark's so laid back, like almost like he's just you know, he probably like. Got the phone call and said, oh, that's cool. And then, like, tried to see if he could go fishing for the rest of the afternoon. Um, But, like, he said, it's amazing to him how excited it makes everybody else. Like, the fans and the administration and the players and their families and the students. Like, that really, you know, people, it's sort of a cliche, dumb thing to say. Like, rankings don't matter. They do matter. Ask Mark Few. Like, uh, uh, go go to that campus right now and, and, and see if it matters, having a number one beside their name. um And, and you know, I, I said, like, how did you address it with your team? And he said, you know, like, there are going to be people out there who question whether you're the best team in the country, and that's fine. He said, but there are people out there. And I thought this was interesting. He said, there are people. He said, this is a big-ass country. And there are people who think you're the best at something in this entire country. And I don't care whether it you're a basketball team or a doctor or a student anything if you in this country if there are people who think you're the best at it at something that's a that's a that's a hell of a deal and so like you know be be proud of yourselves and i thought that was a good way to address it with this team and it does you know provide some some proper perspective like you know there's a whole bunch of teams playing basketball in this country 351 at the division 1 level if whether you are actually the best at it at any moment if there's enough people out there who think you are to make you rank number one in an AP poll and a coaches poll and a top 25 and one that's a that's a pretty good deal so I don't want to ruin that for Gonzaga I, I mean
1: listen there's no saying that you're gonna ruin it but uh but you know that seems to be the prime candidate here that's all I'm
0: saying yeah I'm not interested in that we'll explore this later on in another podcast I'll ruin something else but I, I, in all sincerity I apologize to Jamie Dixon. I apologize to Richard Patino. This was not my intent. I didn't want to make your season spiral the wrong direction. I was trying to bring uh, positive attention and it just got mixed up uh, somewhere. Big game tonight inside Allen Fieldhouse. It is number two Baylor against number three Kansas. Jayhawks are a six and a half point favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. both both teams, both teams are seven and one in the Big Twelve right now. And they both have only lost in the league at West Virginia so they've got essentially the exact same resume except if you're looking at total resume Baylor's is superior because they don't have a neutral court loss to Indiana Kansas does and I think they've got nine top 50 Kempom wins Kansas has seven so Baylor does deserve to be ranked ahead of Kansas right now no matter where this game goes tonight or where this season unfolds but do you give the Bears a, a legitimate chance to upset Kansas tonight
1: oh uh, no I I don't give them a legitimate chance. I give them a chance. Legitimate. My scientific breakdown of that method would be, say, 40% or better, and I can't say that that's going to be the case. I'll take Kansas to cover. Who knows? You said six and a half? Yeah. I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that. Um, They won't have uh, Bragg. be interested to see what Bill Self says about the LeGerald-Vick situation after the game. Because uh, there's certainly some things surrounding Kansas, not related to basketball, um, which are uh, concerning or just need to be cleared up at this point. But it's at Fog Allen, Baylor's been obviously so good. I mean, we've talked. I can't believe how much we've talked about Baylor on this podcast. All of it rightfully deserved at this point in the season. Um, Kansas has only lost nine times since Bill Self uh, started coaching there. I'll probably blast out that link. Last year, no, I didn't it, isn't
0: up. isn't this true? Tell
1: me the- yeah, 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 it is. I know what you're going to say. Scott <laughs> Drew has more losses at <laughs> Allen Fieldhouse than Bill Self. Yeah.
0: Isn't that a terrific stat?
1: Yes, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's bonkers and ridiculous. Um, last year, I spoke with the nine coaches who have ever won at Allen Fieldhouse over Bill Self. Um, some of the stories were absolutely amazing. The tidbits were good. So I'll tweet that out later on today. So if you missed it last year, you can go to read because it's uh, still relevant today because they've only lost nine games since he got there. Give me Kansas. I hope this is a good game. I'd really like to see... These two teams that are chasing one seeds, that are lifting up the Big 12 this season, Scott Drew is obviously right there with with Mark Few um, and a few others for National Coach of the Year honors. Winning here, I, listen, I, I don't care who wins or loses, but it would be kind of an incredible thing if Baylor did win. I, I would not reject that outcome because... It would be the biggest possible victory to alter the perception of Baylor and Drew that you could ever ask for. Like, if you got to a Final Four, obviously, you get to another Elite Eight, clearly, you get a number one ranking, those things help. But nothing would do more for the program in terms of regular season outcomes than actually winning at Kansas when Kansas is so highly ranked, when you are only a one-loss team in the midst of trying to get a one-seed. Baylor's long been established to be a legitimate program by now, but in terms of a broad, wide-reaching result, if you were able to upset Kansas tonight, that would be uh, fairly humongous on that campus and would certainly reverberate within college basketball.
0: And it could present an interesting case for, you know, AP top twenty-five voters because, you know, Baylor's already getting first-place votes in the in the AP poll. If Baylor were to, what does Baylor have this weekend? Do you know off the top of your head? State. Okay, so if Baylor were to beat Kansas tonight on the road, and then beat Kansas State Saturday at home, uh, they would then have eleven top fifty Ken Palm wins, uh, victories over Louisville, uh, Kansas, uh, uh, Xavier. Um, you know they would they would have. Uh, like significant road win, you know, at Allen Fieldhouse, you could reasonably say Baylor's Baylor deserves to be the number one team in the country. I don't know that I would move Gonzaga down. It's not a rule, but I don't like the idea of of uh, demoting a top ranked team. Uh, without that team losing but i like i'll tell you this like i write that stupid Politex column every monday if somebody started uh dropping gonzaga to two and making baylor number one after baylor going two and zero in this particular week it would not be the focus of the politex column it would be a, a very reasonable thing to do i'll take kansas to win the game tonight uh but uh, I, I i'd buy it up to seven <laughs> i'd take that six and a half buy it up to seven take plus seven
1: yeah Okay. well, it'll be interesting. Real quick before we wrap up here, GP, I did write a quick thing on Northwestern. They play at Purdue. I don't think Northwestern is going to win on Wednesday night, but I do think we've reached the point where Northwestern is going to get to the tournament Their Their resume is actually um, it's it's relatively weak in general. They have a win over Dayton. That's nice. Um, They've defeated Indiana on, on Sunday in in. Definitive fashion, but Indiana was, was shorthanded. But they are 7-2. and two. They've never been this good. We talked about Maryland, best start in program history. Northwestern's 18-4. That's the best start in program history. They haven't been 7-2 and two in the Big Ten since the 1930s. Obviously, Northwestern's famous for never getting to the tournament. While I think they'll lose tonight, I just think it's an inevitability. This will be the year that the Wildcats get to the tournament. But if they don't, I will have trumped GP... For all the damage he did to Minnesota and TCU, nothing will compare to me writing that it is a guarantee that Northwestern makes the tournament if that does not happen. But even with the loss tonight, I think they're still in fine shape and will wind up uh, getting there.
0: I agree on both points. I think they lose tonight, uh, but they ultimately do make the NCAA tournament, which would be a remarkable achievement, an unprecedented achievement for Chris Collins. Uh, and that program remember uh, you can subscribe to the Ion college basketball podcast on itunes that's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible so please go do that thank you all so much for listening we will talk to you again actually tomorrow night thursday night why thursday instead of friday we'll explain why on the next podcast so make sure uh, you're here for that until then uh, take care